in the financial planning industry, how they do all of these elaborate financial planning things and then don't talk to people about, mm-hmm. hey, are you going to be alive to enjoy any of this? <laughs> yeah. Or are you going to be healthy enough to enjoy any of this financial success that we're creating for you? Or are you going to be too busy getting your toes cut off because you have uncontrolled diabetes yeah. to actually like take the trips you want to take or drive the motorcycle or whatever is your fantasy of your retirement yeah. years? You know, you're like... Hello. Hi. Welcome back. To the closet. <laughs> to the Brio in the Box podcast. Yeah. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are going to dive into the exciting topic of health. And what the heck what does the that hell mean? is health? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a word that I think everybody likes to to use, right? Like probably the most common answer we get when we ask why people CrossFit is, well, I want to be healthy. Mm-hmm. It's like, great, that's awesome. We all want to be healthy, but what is what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right? So it's this thing, presumably we're all pursuing yeah. health. What is it? And how would we know when we get there and what are, how are we defining it? Mm-hmm. Right. If we're all after this thing, we better dive into what that actually means. Yeah. So the dictionary has a hilarious uh, <laughs> interpretation of what health is and it is defined as the absence of disease. You're like, well, that seems Great. inadequate. <laughs> like, so if I don't actively have a disease, then I'm just, I'm healthy and that's, yeah. That's it. That's Case all we're going to define as health. Or like, okay, well, that doesn't seem like what we're pursuing with CrossFit then is to just be not sick. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. There's a lot of gray area there that I think uh, we, need to, we need to dive into a little <laughs> yeah. deeper. Um, CrossFit came up with a, a continuum sickness, wellness, fitness. If you've ever seen that, I'll put the graphic up on the screen with us. It's worth watching on the YouTube channel if you tend to just um, listen to these ones in audio format. Yeah. Sickness, wellness, fitness is this continuum. So there's a bunch of things that we could all agree on would, would be sickness. Yeah. And then the absence of those things we would call wellness. Like, okay, you're just, you know, you're, you're well, but you're, um, you're not we, ideal. If we want to be more than that, that pursuit further around the continuum is called fitness. Right. And so fitness is a state of super wellness. Yeah. Basically, if we want to think about that. So Greg would talk about like any traditional measure of like, you know, blood or you know, body fat percentage or your heart rate or your whatever can be set up somewhere on that graph between mm-hmm. sickness and wellness. And then the, f- or the further into the fitness you get, the like more time you have to react and like fix things before you're actually sick. Mm-hmm. If you're just teetering on wellness, like you're not currently dying or dead or anything, but you don't have a lot of buffer time before you get to be sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like if anything happened, yeah, you got injured or you did, you know, get a infection or something, your capacity before you would fall back towards sickness is very small. Mm-hmm. And I've had that happen to me personally. So, um, when I was pregnant with dash, my, my blood pressure is always normally really good. I'm a very like low, very chill blood pressure kind of person, like a between 90 and hundred over between 50 and 60. And I remember about halfway through being pregnant with him going to the doctor and she's like, Oh, your blood pressure is 120 over 80. That's nice and normal. And I was like, that's high mm-hmm. for me. And so I had gone from fitness and I had to pass back through wellness. Mm-hmm. I had to get well before I ended up getting sick. And towards the end of that pregnancy, my blood pressure got so out of control that yeah. they had to take dash out early. We yeah. took him out at 37 weeks. Cause my blood pressure was like 200 over <laughs> something insane. And it was like, I was about to stroke out any minute. So <laughs> it was bad. But what sounds funny to say is that if you have fitness, you have to get well before you can get mm-hmm. sick. 
right? So you have this big buffer, like you talked yeah. about. So all the, all the like traditional health measures, like they're great. Like they have a place and there's something yeah. to pay attention to because, you know, they do tell you how things are going on the inside and mm-hmm. they're, they're worth looking at. And especially like the more you can improve those numbers, the more time you have to, you know, fix something if you're starting to fall off the wagon or, yeah. or whatever. More buffer. So I think if you asked any of us, any of our gym members, when you said, okay, I want to be healthy, and you tried to like dig a little deeper on what does it actually mean? What would healthy look like in your mind? It mostly comes down to being able to do things, yeah. be an active participant in life. I want to be able to play with my kids. I want to be able to go on hikes. I want to be able to do my own yard work. I want to be able to get up and down out of a chair independently, like whatever mm-hmm. are the things that are important to you and would reflect good health. Yeah. I think if we really boiled them all down, it would, it would come down to just capabilities for we sure. want to be able to do certain things. I can only imagine a scenario where you ask somebody like, what does health mean to you? And they said, 120 over 80 blood pressure and left it at that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, mm, that's, really? That's it? That's, that's all you're going for? Not really the thing that any of us are pursuing. So, yeah. um, we had talked about in actually our last episode where we were talking about fitness wearables, mm-hmm. things like VO two max or heart rate or, you know, HRV, those things are interesting and they're correlates to fitness, but they're not the thing itself. The thing itself is work capacity. What can you do? Right. So one of the things that Greg Glassman, coach Glassman recognized in the early days of CrossFit that a lot of things in health and fitness were poorly defined or not defined at all. Right. <laughs> so there was no workable definition of fitness from anybody. Yeah. So he came along and defined fitness as work capacity across broad time and modal domains. Right. So what does that mean? It's a lot of fancy words. Work capacity, the ability to do things, the capabilities across broad time. So super short, high intensity bouts of time, medium length of time, long durations of time, broad time, and modal domains is the fancy way of saying lots of different things. So running, jumping, throwing, climbing, lifting, dragging, carrying, all the kind of variety things you see Mm -hmm. in the way we train in CrossFit. So we want to have good work capacity, good capability to do things across broad time, short, medium, long, and modal domains, lots of different stuff. Yep. And that's the definition of fitness. Yeah. And I think fitness that, isn't a VO2 max. It isn't a certain resting heart rate. It's your work capacity across broad time and modal domains. And I think that that includes everything outside of the gym as well, right? It's not just in the gym. What's your work capacity? It's like, can you carry your own groceries? You mm. know, can you walk up the stairs without pain? Can you get out of a chair without assistance? Like that is all work capacity, just mm. different levels of it. Right. So yeah. a lot of people will get hung up on like just the gym stuff. And that's, it's more to it than that. Yeah. It reflects your ability to be an active participant in life. Right. So then when it came to health, defining health, Greg did something super tricky. <laughs> Guess what he did? He called it health is work capacity across broad time and modal domains across the years of your life. Right. He just added a third <laughs> access to the whole thing. So they called it a 3D model of health. And I'll put this image up on the screen too, because it, it helps conceptualize what's going on. So at any point in time, age 20 and 30 and 40 and 50, you would have a work capacity, a level of fitness across broad time and modal domains. And we want to build it up and stretch it out Mm -hmm. for as long as possible. We want to spread it out all the way to the end of our life. And so it was a definition of health that reflected your capability, your ability to just do things, (laughs) be an active participant in life and in whatever way is important to you. For sure. So. And, I th- and how I think we've all known or maybe even have been the guy who like was a high school athlete and used to be a real young stud, real fit, real athletic. 
And then 20 years go by and they've got a massive beer belly and they like couldn't walk up the stairs without getting out of breath. And it's like, I used to be quite an athlete, but you know, yeah, like you're no longer healthy, right? You just because you were fit at one point in your life doesn't mean you're, you're healthy for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah. So I think giving health, um, a, a good measurable functional definition like that prevents a bunch of pitfalls in pursuing health in the wrong way by defining it either absently or poorly. So we kind of talked about some of the lab markers. You know, I love to nerd out on that kind of stuff. There's all kinds of lab markers that are correlates to health, blood pressure, your lipids, your glucose, your percentage of body fat, like all those kinds of things. And we could put those well-ordered on the continuum Things are definitely sick. Things where you're well, things where, you know, they're excellent fitness, mm-hmm. super wellness. But I think if we get caught up in only those lab markers mm-hmm. and then have this fallacy or pitfall of thinking, oh, well, if those, if they're not good, if they're on the sickness side of things, well, then I'm just going to medicate them back into the normal range right. and that will be health. Right. And you're like, okay, so if you... It's almost like cheating. <laughs> you just, if you just medicate those lab markers into wellness, absence of disease, mm-hmm. no longer, you know, meeting the diagnostic criteria of whatever hypertension or high cholesterol or whatever. Did you increase someone's work capacity across broad time and mobile domains across the years of your life, of their life? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And if, if anything, probably what happens in that situation is you may have increased the years of life, right? And we keep people alive for longer. For sure but we kept them sick. Yeah. And so what we actually did was increase the total amount of sickness. Right. Because we kept them alive, but sick for longer. Yeah. By not truly addressing what mattered about health, but kind of like cheating by just medicating these things back in. Yeah. And I don't know many people that look at, you know, very aged people who are still holding on and they're on their 10 pills every day. And it's Mm -hmm. like, Nobody wants that, right? That's not the future that people look forward to. Yeah. And I think that we make the mistake of like, well, they're alive and that's good. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, but are they living? You know, is yeah. that is that the type of life that you really want to have? Or you're just holding on, you know? That was the story of my grandpa. So he, he died at 78. So he made average life expectancy for someone born when he was born. But he, it was not good, yeah. <laughs> right? The last two decades, even maybe three decades. He had his first heart attack in his late forties. Mm-hmm. He was like the picture of chronic disease, abdominal obesity, overweight, diabetic, hypertensive, all the things. Um, he also had a theory that you had a limited number of heartbeats mm-hmm. in your life. And so you should not exercise because yeah, you, you would use up your heartbeats. You got uh, to save them. That did not work out mm-hmm. well, <laughs> but his, his last decades were, um, loss of functional capacity, walked with a cane and then he had a hip replacement and then he had diabetic neuropathy in his feet and then he got dementia. And then like, it was just a escalating, declining state of chronic disease until he eventually died at 78. So, Mm -hmm. um, and, but he was kept alive (laughs) with, you know, the interventions and the surgeries and the medications and stuff. He, he made average life expectancy, but the quality of those years was not good. Yeah. So, so if you just look at the health markers and say, okay, thing one is high, we're going to give you this pill to bring thing one down. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're bringing that one thing down, but you're not necessarily improving quality of life Mm -hmm. or improving health. You're just extending the life of the sick person. (laughs) The total time that you're alive, for sure. And so I think of it this way. So if you have a person 
with very poor work capacity across broad time and modal domains. That's not a healthy person. Mm -hmm. If you ran their labs, you're going to see that they're not good. Those two things go together. I'm not saying that those lab markers aren't important or yeah. that, you know, they're imaginary. They're not, they're important. But if, so we have poor work capacity on one side and we have poor lab markers on the other side. We have two ways that we could intervene with this person. We could medicate the lab markers back into the normal range, or we could address and improve their work capacity across broad time and modal domains by getting them to do some physical activity and probably improving their diet. Yeah. If you improved someone's work capacity, say a year later, they can all of a sudden do all these things. They've probably lost some weight in, in the process of you know improving their diet and sleep and exercise. And then we run those lab markers again. What are we going to see? You're going to see improvements. The lab markers improve. They're yeah. going to improve. That's just what happens when you get healthier. Yeah. But if we just medicate the lab markers, are we going to see any improvement in work capacity? No. No. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. You'll see extension in lifespan maybe, but you're not going to see improvement in quality of life. We're not going to add life to those years. Yeah. And I think, think and we've, we've kind of touched on this in the past that like pills and medication and surgeries and stuff, they all have their place and they're super important and we're lucky to have them, yeah. but- metabolic illness is not one of those things. That's just, yeah. you're putting a bandaid on it and it's not going to get any better. Mm -hmm. You know, chronic diseases are caused by lifestyle and they're basically only cured or prevented yeah. by lifestyle. They can be medicated, um, but they can't be cured or prevented yeah. with any medications, unfortunately. Um, so then I think if we just work from that functional definition of the capabilities, your work capacity, it also prevents a pitfall of, mm -hmm defining health or ill health by just your body composition. Right. And that can be at both ends of the spectrum. Right. So there's a movement called healthy at every size, which is really trying to advocate that obese people can be healthy. And which is just, it's, if we define health as work capacity, it's very unlikely that a person with a BMI over 30 or 40 is going to have good work capacity. Mm -hmm. And in the process of, if you got them to improve their work capacity from wherever it was when you started, they're probably going to bring their body weight down. It's just, that's what's going to happen. You yeah. know? Um, and then also it prevents us from saying like, oh, just because you're a healthy body weight, your BMI is normal. It's between 20 and 25. Therefore you're healthy. Right. Also no, because how many times have we seen in the gym, healthy, normal body weight people with very low work capacity, yeah. they can barely do an air squat yeah. because they lack such muscle strength. Yeah. So also not a healthy person. Yeah. So on both sides of the spectrum, you know, being completely sarcopenic and having no muscle tone and no capabilities at all, and then being excessively heavy and, you know, not being able to fully move your body around, like either one of those things is is dangerous and mm -hmm. unhealthy. And when you just look at the, the um, you know, blood pressure and all those sort of blood measures yeah. and stuff, um, those people can have normal mm -hmm. numbers. Where, it, but it's like you're not healthy, but yeah. it just hasn't caught up with you yet. You, you have know? an absence of disease. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So if you're just looking at markers, those people can easily rely on those markers to be like, well, "Look, I'm healthy. My heart rate is normal, and my lipids are normal." It's like, yeah, they are right now, but mm -hmm. let's see how those things look in 20 years. Yeah, you know. One of the things that's super interesting about you know defining health closer to work capacity rather than the lab markers is there are a few tests. One of them you've probably heard me talk about before is the sitting rising test. Right. It's just, it's scored on a 10 point system. It's your ability to just get down on the floor. There's five points for getting down on the floor and get back up again. You lose a point if you have to use a hand or a knee or roll to the side of your leg. 
You lose half a point if you lose your balance while you stand up. So it's just a very basic functional test of like, can you just sit down and stand up again, like under mm-hmm. your own power? The predictive power of mortality and morbidity of people over 50 of the sitting rising test is stronger than any of the lab markers. Mm-hmm. If you can't get down on the ground and get back up again, the chance that you will die in the next five years is very, it's like eight times higher mm-hmm. <laughs> than someone that has the functional capacity to get up and down again. And that predictive value is stronger than blood pressure. It's stronger than lipids. It's stronger than glucose. It's stronger than anything else in elderly people. There's one called the get up and go test, which is you just get out of a chair. I think you have to walk six meters, turn around and come back and sit down and how long that takes you. Also super reflective of your mortality risk in the next year or five years. Can you get out of a chair and walk and walk back and sit down? And how quickly can you do that? And this, if you're this old person that can barely get out of the thing, yeah. shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. It's like, yeah, you're, you're on your last legs. You're yeah. close to the end of your life. <laughs> Whereas if you're still spry and you pop up and you walk and you pop back and sit down, then you probably have a lot of, of years left in your life and a lot of life left yeah. in your year. So um, those functional capacity markers are much more predictive mm-hmm. than the lab markers. So the sitting rising test, you, you start standing mm-hmm. and you have to get down onto the floor without touching with your hands mm-hmm. and then just stand up without using your hands mm-hmm. or anything like that. If you can just sit down and stand back up without your hands or kneeling or anything, you get 10 points. Mm-hmm. If you have to put one hand down on the way down, you get nine points. If you put a hand down on the way down and to get up, you get eight points. Mm-hmm. Right? So you lose. If you have to like sort of turn into a lunge position and put a knee on the floor, now you've got seven points. You know, if you needed a knee and a hand, so the more. Um, um, how many points do you lose if you're like complaining the whole time about how <laughs> sore your legs are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you get 11 points because you're probably a CrossFitter <laughs> yeah. and you just did like Angie or oh, Chad or something. God. If you groan the whole time, <laughs> there's no loss of points for that. You can complain all oh, you want, okay. but uh, as long as you can do it. Um, so yeah, I think those things are are super interesting tests, and yeah. I, I wish they were part of um, mainstream medicine. Obviously, this is our bias as yeah. fitness-oriented people that, yeah, why are we you know, in a patient clinic taking blood pressure and taking blood draws and taking urine samples, but not also being like, hey, can you sit down and stand up for me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, like when that's a better marker of this person's mortality risk or why are we not prescribing exercise more often or why are yeah. we not prescribing dietary changes more often the things yeah. that actually move the needle. Yeah. Um, I think you kind of touched on this already, but I think we should circle back to it is that if we define fitness or capacity across broad time and modal domains, and then health is across the years of your life, it also prevents the pitfall of improving performance via like short term or kind of like cheater methods there too. Yeah. (laughs) We can't cheat our lab markers. We also can't cheat our fitness. Right. Which would be like performance enhancing drugs or Mm -hmm. stimulants or eating gummy bears so you can go faster in the workout. (laughs) Those, those things are not pursuits of health. They're pursuits of performance. Short term. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Short term performance. And I think when you see people that take it to the extreme, they end up paying for it in the long run, mm-hmm. right? Like look at like a guy like Ronnie Coleman, who at one point was like the biggest, craziest, most monstrous human being um, winning the bodybuilding competitions left, right, and center. That dude, was his work capacity was bananas. He would do, you know, back squat sets of eight with 800 pounds. Like mm-hmm. it was just ridiculous how strong he was. And he was a monster because yeah. of it, right? Clearly not natural, clearly like pushing the limits of his sport. Mm -hmm. 
and we watched a documentary on him recently and like the guy walks with canes now and he's had multiple surgeries and he's you know heavily medicated to deal with his pain it's like that guy borrowed from the future Mm -hmm. big time to get the most performance he could out of his young body Mm -hmm. and now he's paying the price for it his curve over his life he like tilted it really high up in his early years and no judgment if that's what you want to do but i think people should just be informed at at what the cost is of that but for sure now in his he's not even that old he's like in his 50s i think but he's like walks with two canes and yeah like you said multiple back surgeries and so much pain from it that he's like medicated pretty heavily with opiates just to just to get through yeah. his day-to-day activity. So his work capacity is very low now. Like yeah. he, And he, I think most like young athletes, like they did that study where they asked Olympic athletes, if you knew you were going to die at 40, but you would get a gold medal, would you take it? And like 70% or something, like the majority of them said yes. Yeah. So it's not that giving up those things isn't worth your pursuit of, you know, excellence or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think, like you said, there just needs to be informed consent. You need to know exactly what you're potentially giving up or what the long-term consequences are going to be mm-hmm. if you decide to make those decisions. Performance in the now is important, but conflating really high short-term performance with long-term health isn't yeah. necessarily correct. For sure. Um, but I, I think if we, if we do a little thought experiment and we go, okay, the marginal decade of your life, the last decade of your life, a, when do you want it to be? Do you mm-hmm. want it to be like your 90s? Sure, let's assume that. And then we go, what do we want it to look like? What do you want your marginal decade to look like? Almost all of us would say things like, I want to be able to live independently. I want to yeah. still live in my house. I want to be cognitively with it. I want to be able to go up and down my stairs. I want to be able to drive and get my own groceries and yeah. get out of a chair unassisted and get off the toilet and shower myself. Like, yeah. We would list a bunch of functional capacity things which is great. That's how we envision that we want to live the marginal decade of our life. And we go, okay, well, aging comes with a decline. Yep. It just happens. And so if we can assume that we're going to lose about five or 10% of our capacity every decade, let's work backwards from that. What is our capacity? If we want to have those things in our nineties, what does our capacity have to look like in our eighties and our seventies and our sixties and our fifties and our forties? Mm-hmm. Well, now we're getting to the point where you need to have excess capacity you need to have more fitness than you currently need in your say 30s or 40s yeah so that you have a buffer so that you can live your marginal decade the way you want to live it yeah you know but then also it keeps you grounded like well if i push my fitness artificially high right now with these like sort of cheat codes like Mm -hmm. peds or stimulants or gummy bears or whatever is it gonna help me live my marginal decade the way i want to and you go "Mm, no because i'm gonna you know give myself heart disease or <laughs> I'm going to get injured or any number of, of things that would be detrimental to that vision yeah. that you have. Um, I think it's a Peter Atia quote that I liked quite a bit where he said, the gravity of aging is stronger than people think. Mm-hmm. So the height of your glider at the start needs to be higher than you think. Yeah. And so that's what, that's what we're pursuing is starting the height of our glider For sure. <laughs> as high as possible. It's kind of like a bank account, right? It's like you're, you're investing in the future. You're putting money away when you're young, hopefully if you're taking care of yourself, mm-hmm. but it's like, if you stop working and just start relying on your bank account, eventually you're going to run out of funds. Mm-hmm. So if you work hard through your teens and early twenties and then stop working out and stop eating well, you're already dipping into that savings fund. And by the time you're into your mid thirties, you're out, you're just, your health is going to start to deteriorate and you're going to have a slow descent into, you know, some serious rough times. Same thing 
if you work out for your whole life, just because you're 60 or 70, that doesn't mean you just stop exercising and stop eating well and start dipping into that savings fund. It's like you can prolong that so much more if you stay active and still eat well and take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're always kind of like reinvesting. It'll just allow you to live a better life for longer. Mm-hmm. My dad's a financial advisor and that was the industry that I started in where my mm-hmm. educational background was and stuff. So I, I definitely like that analogy of thinking that like investing in your health is investing in your retirement years in the same way that you financially prepare for the future. You need to like health wise prepare for the future. Yeah. I've always thought it was quite ridiculous in in his industry, in the financial planning industry, how they do all of these elaborate financial planning things and then don't talk to people about, Mm -hmm. hey, are you going to be alive to enjoy any of this? (laughs) Or are you going to be healthy enough to enjoy any of this financial success that we're creating for you? Or are you going to be too busy getting your toes cut off because you have uncontrolled diabetes to actually like take the trips you want to take or drive the motorcycle or whatever is your fantasy of your retirement years? You know, you're like, are you also planning to have the body that will be capable of having all the fun (laughs) you're envisioning happening in your retirement years? If you're in your 60s and you already can't get down on the ground and get back up again, or you already avoid taking the stairs, or you already struggle to get out of your car, guess what? You're in your marginal decade. Yeah. You know, you don't have, you can't look forward to like your 70s and 80s and 90s if you're, if you mm-hmm. already have such a loss of functional capacity in your say 50s or 60s. Yeah. Right. So. <clears throat> and just like, you know, the people that live longer than they think and run out of money can go and get a job <laughs> at Walmart and like, you know make a little bit of extra money. It's not that like if you've never done anything for your whole life and you're 60 years old, you're screwed. Like you can still start and mm-hmm. and start to build up some, some savings for the future. Like it's not like it's ever too late. You're just not going to be as well off as if you would have planned better earlier on. Yeah. From any point you can make improvements. Absolutely. Yeah. I look at it like, you know, you don't want to be 80 or 80 years old and still working like 40 hours a week. And you don't want to be 80 years old and having to do five CrossFit workouts every week, <laughs> fucking crushing yourself, just trying to get some fit- fitness built up. You want to be able to just like do some EMOMs and some casual walking and be like, I'm good. I'm yeah. cruising. You want to be able to like relax and, you know, yeah. just live the life you want to live. I think if we want to keep taking the financial planning um, analogy further. So in your younger years, you can push things harder, right? You yeah. can train multiple times a day and you can, you know, maybe try things that are a little riskier because you have time to recover should you hurt yourself or mm-hmm. something or you have more capacity to recover. Same thing in what an investment portfolio looks like for a 30-year-old. It's going to have more high-risk securities and that kind of thing. As you get older, your portfolio distribution shifts towards more safe and secure things, more, you know, bonds and yield things and, you know, less, um, equities. And yeah. that's just, you know, how you're not buying it. Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> that's how portfolio <laughs> management works. I think like the, the pursuit of short term, like taking PEDs or stimulants yeah. or gummy bears. I think that's the equivalent of investing in Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you get like, Oh, like all enamored with these like short term gains. And then a few years later you're broke and you're like, Oh shit, that wasn't real. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't going to last forever. Yeah. So I think those cheater things, that's like Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) Or just putting it all on black. Yeah. That's the casino approach. Yeah. I think that it's easy to get caught up in just the exercise too. Um, But nutritionists is in all parts of this such a huge Mm. component as well and we've talked about this in previous podcasts myself especially you know I'm 44 now and as I've gotten older I've realized how much more of an impact my nutrition is now than it was 
when I was in my 20s. Like I remember mm-hmm. being young. And, I, and it's funny because I'm fitter now than I ever was in my whole life um, because I pay better attention to my nutrition. But I remember being 20 and not fat, even though I ate like we had like McDonald's day, we had pizza day, we had wing day, we had whatever day. It was like, we ate out all the time. It was garbage food, but I wasn't like fat, you know, I just wasn't gaining a lot of weight from the garbage I was eating. But if I had McDonald's night and pizza night and wing night now, for sure, I would be gaining weight. Like that's just how it works. So as you age, you need to know invest in the nutrition mm-hmm. much more than as a kid yeah. but it's worth doing it as a kid to just like make it easier the, yeah. your, your whole life the earlier you start the better but it's for never sure. too late yeah just like saving for retirement yeah. the earlier you start the better but it's never too late to start making you know better decisions um so yeah i think if we average age in the gym is like around our age sort of 30s and 40s and you know some on either side yeah so i think if we if we think of our fitness in, you know, our early or middle age, think of it as your retirement savings. So if I only defined health as my ability to do the things that I want to do in my life, I have way more fitness right now than I'll ever need. (laughs) Way stronger and way more capacity than I need to like play with my kids and, you know, carry my groceries. But all of this excess capacity is Mm -hmm. just like your retirement savings account. Your retirement account should be bigger than what you need for income this year, yeah, it needs to last you for a long time and it, you need to be able to stretch it out and, you know, distribute it over a long time. So yeah, you need to have more fitness than you currently need in the middle year so that you have still the fitness that you need in your later years. Yeah. Would any of us take the bargain? You're like, okay, you can be alive at 90, but you're going to be bedridden and you're going to have like dementia. You won't recognize any of your loved ones. You're going to be drooling in your soup in the home. Would yeah. any of us want that? Of course not. Of course not. Yeah. Nobody would define their marginal decade as a win if that's what it looked like i think almost all of us would agree they're like take me out man i don't i don't want those years if that's what they're gonna look like so nobody wants that we want the good functional happy capable years which means we need to build up in the in the middle yeah and we talked about this in our our masters um podcast the good news is is that like modern research shows that you have more time to build than you think right Mm -hmm. you can you can still be improving your fitness and still be like raising your glider in your forties and even your fifties. So yep. it's not like you're ever out of time. It's just eventually it's going to be harder to yep. get that glider up in the air. Yeah. So for sure it does. get doing something. <laughs> yeah. One thing we haven't really touched on in, in a definition of health, we've mostly been talking about like physical things mm-hmm. is the role of mental health. Yeah. Which is um, a super important topic yeah. closely held to our hearts as well in the way that we operate and live our lives. If you follow me on the Keto Athlete, you'll know I'm frequently screaming in all caps that <laughs> mental health is not separate from physical health. <laughs> yeah. And one day, eventually, we're going to end up doing a full podcast on mental health. But mm-hmm. I think just as, as you know, a quick tidbit, yeah, those, those two things are connected, mm-hmm. you know? Chances I, are, if you're mentally unwell, it's going to affect your physical health. Mm-hmm. And if your physical health is poor, it will affect your mental health. Absolutely. What drives me bonkers is that we even... Ha- regard those two things as separate. Mm-hmm. Your brain is an organ in your body. If your body is not healthy, yeah. if it's full of inflammation and not fed well, and lacking nutrients, so is your brain. It exists in your body. There's no separate ephemeral mental health thing. Yeah. What does depression and anxiety correlate with? 
uh, low nutrient status, high inflammation, dysglycemia, like all these things, you know, low cholesterol in the prefrontal cortex. Like if your diet is terrible and your like fitness is poor, like you don't exercise, you don't go out in the sun, your sleep Mm -hmm. is poor, like your body's suffering and your brain is suffering because your brain is in your body. (laughs) Those two things are not separate. And I think if you, um, I had someone ask at a, at a seminar once about like, so here's our definition of health. And he's like, well, how does that incorporate mental and spiritual health? Like, well, I think if your mental health is poor, it's probably going to be reflected in your work capacity. How are your workouts? If you're having a bout of major depression, mm-hmm. how do your workouts go? Probably not great. Yeah. You know, if you're experiencing major anxiety, how's your fitness? Yeah. Probably not great. Right. So as your work capacity improves, that's probably reflecting, um, mental health well-being as well. Like yeah. Those two things are very much related. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's an important thing. And then what does continuing to invest in your physical and mental health as you age? Social connections. Yeah. Right? Loneliness is a huge factor for older people. Mm-hmm. It correlates strongly with reduced immune function, but also dementia risk and all kinds of things, right? So yep. that's where uh, come hang out with some cool people like Sue Fitness. <laughs> Join a CrossFit gym. Join a CrossFit gym. Meet some other cool fit people. Meet some other fit people. Yeah. Do things. Yeah. Make your social activities, you know, active fitnessy activities. Yeah. Put those two things together. For sure. Okay. So I think we have a good definition of health. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> it's less about the numbers. Those numbers are important. They're important. And they're things to see, things to pay attention to because mm-hmm. they will tell you is possibly going on, mm-hmm. but there's way more to it than that. Yeah. You address, so if you have, like I said before, if you have poor lab markers and you have poor work capacity and you choose to address one of those two things, if you address your work capacity, you're also addressing your lab markers. Yeah. They'll get better. If you just address your lab markers, your work capacity will not get better. Right. So you, if you have these two options for what to improve, focus on improving your work capacity across broad time and modal domains. Yeah. And yep. do it with other people. And do it with other people. And a major part of dealing with that is taking care of your intake, your nutritional intake as well. Absolutely. Because you can't just work out real hard and continue to eat like shit and expect to be like super healthy. That's just not going to happen. I feel like, do we all do that at some point where you're like, I know everybody says you can't (laughs) out train a bad diet, but I think I can out train a bad diet. I think I can eat like shit and just show up at the gym and it'll work out. And then despite having been told it a thousand times, I feel like we all have to bang our head against the wall <laughs> and then go, oh, I can't out train a bad diet. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you just, you show up at CrossFit all the time, you get no better, you feel super sore, you yeah. know, you're more likely to get injured, like everything is just, it doesn't get better. And it certainly doesn't get better across all the years of your life. No. You know? The older you get, the harder it is. Yeah. The more you have to just face that reality that improvements in your work capacity reflect good nutritional status, good yeah. sleep, Good stress management, good mental health, all those things go into having good work capacity. Yeah. Those are all part of the picture. Awesome. Cool. All right. Enjoy getting healthier, everyone. Be healthy.